Welcome back to the How to Become a Doctor podcast. I'm Afrida, a second year medical student at UCL. On this podcast, we bring you all the information we wished we knew when applying to medicine and throughout our time in medical school through interviewing inspiring guests in the healthcare world, talking to organisations including the King's Fund and the GMC, and sharing our experiences as mentors and mock interviewers. No contacts in the medical field? No problem. In our specialty spotlight series, we're giving you a front row seat to interviews with the doctors in all the different medical specialties. We find out what their day job is really like, their top tips for aspiring and current medical students, and what they would tell their younger self. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at how to become a doctor with doctor spelt dr to keep up to date with everything we're doing. So, without further ado, let's jump into today's specialty spotlight. So welcome back to our specialty series. Um, I'm joined today by Vicky, one of the other How to Become a Doctor podcast hosts and behind the scenes extraordinaire. And we are joined by Dr. Lara Menzies today to talk all about clinical genetics. And if like me, you're thinking, I don't really know what that is, then buckle up because we're going to learn all about it and bring you along. So without further ado, Dr. Menzies, would you be able to just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about what, what you do? Yeah, of course. So thanks very much for inviting me, first of all. Um, it's really exciting to be here, and I hope that this is a useful discussion for, for you guys listening out there. So I am a clinical genetics registrar, so I'm an ST6 trainee, so I'm almost consultant level, but not quite. And I've been working at Great Ormond Street in clinical genetics since 2017. My background is that essentially I went to a medical school in Cambridge, I was very interested in neuroscience at that point, and I actually undertook a PhD during my training, looking at MRI brain imaging and, and heritability of neuropsychiatric conditions. And then I became a pediatric doctor. So I did my foundation training and I was interested in pediatrics and particularly working with children. And then from that point, I became much more interested in clinical genetics. And I think I I actually myself wasn't hugely aware of the specialty until I was sort of some way into my training. And that's one of the reasons that I really want to share what it is and, and what we do. So that's me. I guess you your next question was, what do I do in, in daily? Yeah. Life? So I think the first thing to say is that we see patients very much so. And although we work very closely with our colleagues in the laboratory, the clinical scientists, we also not based in the lab. And I think that's a really common um misconception about the specialty. So communication skills are, are really key. So we work with patients and families of all ages, actually. And I guess it starts from fetal medicine and, and prenatal genetics. So sort of advising couples who are pregnant and worried about the possibility of a genetic condition, either because of a family history or because there's been abnormalities on the, the antenatal scans, etc. We also look after a lot of children. Typically, that's children who are presenting with complex medical conditions where it, it looks like a genetic cause is likely. But then we also work a lot with, with adults and, and older people, particularly looking at cancer predisposition syndromes. So some of you might be aware of things like BRCA, but there are actually many other genes out there which we can test for, which we know can cause a predisposition to particular cancers and then there's if we can make that diagnosis and, and find that then usually there's sort of screening various options we can offer to patients so we see 
people from all walks of life and, and all ages. I think one of the really lovely things about clinical genetics is it's so variable from a, a clinical perspective. So I think genetics has got relevance to, to pretty much every domain and aspect of medicine. And there are lots of opportunities as a geneticist to, to specialise in a particular aspect. So the thing that I'm really interested in following on from my research previously is, is neurogenetics and understanding the genetics underlying neurological conditions, particularly those where there are sort of structural brain abnormalities, so congenital abnormalities in terms of brain structure. A lot of, I guess one thing that people ask me is, you know, what, what sort of clinical work do you do and, and how does it work? We're mostly outpatient based. So most clinical genetic centers predominantly see patients in, in outpatients in clinics. But we also do reviews for patients who are on the wards. So at Great Ormond Street, we see patients who are perhaps being seen under a different specialty, but there's something that we want to think about from a genetic perspective. And more recently, I think as, as genetic testing has become more widely available and more quick to do, we're increasingly involved in children who are very unwell within an intensive care setting, thinking about doing genetic testing. So perhaps in the NICU or in paediatric intensive care. And we're able to offer a rapid genetic test service now where you can do either whole exome or whole genome sequencing. So, so looking across a very large range of genes with a turnaround time of less than two weeks. So wow. that's, yeah, that's a, that's a really impressive thing that I think we can offer. And it's only been happening within the NHS for the last year or so. And that's obviously something which there's not indefinite resources for that. So we have to think carefully about when that's the right thing to do. But if there are situations where a genetic diagnosis would change management, then that's something which is now readily available across England and the UK. So that's that's something which is pretty exciting, I think. That sounds so exciting. And I guess the value of a clinical geneticist sounds invaluable almost. Are there enough of you and kind of are the services focused in centres? How, how does service provision work, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it does. And it's a really good question, and it's something which is changing as genetic testing changes. I think in terms of the basic outline, every part of the UK is covered by a clinical genetic service. There are 20-something different services, which are all attached to particular genetics labs. And the, I guess the, the clinical genetic services tend to be in tertiary hospitals. So to give you an example, across London, there are four genetic centres who manage the sort of the four quadrants of London and then spread out across some of the neighbouring counties. The provision of service has always kind of been on a sort of a hub and spoke model. A lot of genetic centres, although they're based in a tertiary hospital, will go out to other hospitals, DGHs, various clinics, and do some sort of outreach clinics as well. So that's kind of how it works. So there's sort of a, yeah, a hub and spoke model. In terms of workforce and capacity, those are really good questions and lots of discussion about them at the moment. I think the, the things to be aware of, which is probably relevant for all sort of medical students and junior doctors really, is that genetic testing is, because it's becoming increasingly available across many different specialties, there's something called mainstreaming happening. And what that means is that rather than in the past, the only genetic testing that happened was, was done by clinical geneticists. Now, many other doctors are also 
involved in genetic testing and going to be arranging genetic tests themselves. And that's partly to, to answer your question about workforce and capacity, because clearly if genetic testing is now warranted for many different indications and many more people, then you know, we need a change in the way that the service is provided. So this concept of mainstreaming is the idea that many more doctors and healthcare professionals will be involved in arranging genetic testing. But the idea is that obviously some of those will be more complex to do with the results that come back and the interpretation or whether it's more challenging to decide exactly what test is required. And so that sort of overseeing an advisory role will become more important for the clinical geneticists. And part of that is what we call MDT working. So mm. as well as seeing our own patients, we also do a lot of work with other specialties in a sort of multidisciplinary meeting setting. And that's where the, you know, the patient will have had some sort of genetic testing within the remit of a particular specialty. But in terms of interpreting the results, that's where the, it's the clinical geneticist, but also the clinical scientists, plus the doctors and, and team who know the patient who all get together to make a decision. Because one of the challenges about genetic testing is it's often not straightforward for, for various reasons that, that we can go into if you want, but it's, it's sometimes quite complicated. You don't always get an easy answer of, yes, it's this. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think one of the things we could maybe touch on next is after we can come on to kind of good, the, the good and the bad, the challenges. And I think that might cover that part. But while we're on training, how you got into it, could we touch on how you, if one medical student listening is thinking, gosh, this sounds like something I'd really quite like to do. My thoughts are that medical school prepares us quite well for the traditional, I say, specialties. Like, I feel like if I wanted to do emergency medicine I'd have a good basis I wouldn't know where to begin with clinical genetics yeah. and you mentioned PhDs and is that quite standard for anyone that wants to get into it to do these extra, extra opportunities so good question and I think that a lot of people don't know that much about genetics and I'm sort of increasingly <laughs> trying to spread the word but also you find that when you talk to people they're not sort of necessarily aware of it and I think one of the things that the specialty has always been there, but it's evolved quite a lot over recent years. The main thing, I think, is to find out more and talk to people. So mm -hmm. I think genetics is covered across the medical curriculum in, in all different guises, you know, whether it's learning about cystic fibrosis within your respiratory module, whether it's coming across a patient with Huntington's disease when you're doing neurology, whether it's patients with connective tissue disorders in cardiology, so people have got Marfan's, or mm -hmm. there's lots and lots of situations where genetics is relevant. And I think more so perhaps in pediatrics than, than adult medicine, but as I touched on before, you know, within the realms of, of cancer predisposition and oncology, it's also mm -hmm. to, to adults as well. So I think all medical students will be seeing or aware of patients where a genetic condition is relevant. And if it's something you're interested in, then reading around about the, the mechanism of why that condition occurs, what the inheritance is. One thing that's quite important and quite exciting at the moment is what sort of gene therapies and things may mm. be on the horizon or even actually already in practice for some conditions. So I think trying to get a sense of all of that and finding out if it's something that appeals to you that you're interested in is really important. That's the first thing. Really good to find out where your local genetics centre is. And I think in medical school, it may be that you have a specific genetics attachment, but it may not. But you may find that it's perhaps something that you could do as part of your elective 
or visiting or sitting in your clinics with your local genetic centre that's, that's linked to your medical school is something that you can do. There's lots of things online. So there's lots of sort of webinars and courses, a lot talking about genetic testing and how it's sort of integrated within the NHS at the moment. So for example, there's a, a Health Education England Genomics Education Programme, which is freely available online with lots of interesting information. And it's very sort of bite-sized and, and easy to read and approachable. So I think if you find a condition that you're interested in, those sorts of web resources are a good place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that, those are the sorts of things that I would suggest. And then as you get further in your career, you know, when you're a junior doctor, then of course you can potentially work more closely with your local centre. You can try to sit in your clinics and sort of think more about it. But I think the most important thing is talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, find your local geneticists. They're usually very friendly and approachable. And I think we all recognise that we do need more geneticists and more people interested in, in this area. So, yeah, come and talk to us, I'd say, would be a really important thing. And just sort of following on from that then, what's the sort of specific training pathway like then to get from medical students all the way to yeah. your role right now? So how it works is that you would complete your medical degree. Actually, I'll come, I haven't asked you a question about research and I want to come back to that. So I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. But you do your standard medical degree and then you do your foundation training. And then up until recently, you genetics, um, you had to either go into adult sort of general internal medicine or pediatrics. And you would complete part one of that, which essentially is ST1 and two, sometimes ST3. And at that point, you apply for higher specialty training in clinical genetics. And that's a four year program, full time equivalent. Obviously, lots of people doing it less than full time and then it takes slightly longer, not necessarily as long as you would expect pro rata because it's competency dependent. But that's the, the rough outline. Very in the last year or so, the the intake for clinical genetics has been broadened significantly. So now you can pretty much go into clinical genetics from any part one specialty. So, you know, that could include obstetrics and gynecology, psychiatry, GP, surgery. The full details are on the the JRCP TV website, but it's pretty much any specialty now. So obviously there's different requirements for the specialties as to what you need. So if you're a pediatrician, And before you go into clinical genetics, ideally you need MRC-PCH. If you're an adult training, you need MRCP. But obviously the other relevant qualifications coming through from the different specialties will apply. So it's become a lot easier to get into genetics if it's something you want to do. Coming back to research, that's a good question. And I think there are lots of opportunities in clinical genetics to do research. And because we sit on the cusp, I guess, of of what's happening in routine clinical practice and what's happening in research because we're often finding new diagnoses, new genes. We're very close to that sort of, that boundary between the two. And so I think all clinical geneticists have some involvement in research, but often usually in a a collaborative way. So, you know, I'll be working with a patient and a family and a, a gene result will come back on testing and it'll be something very rare that we don't know much about. And it may be through various um, avenues I'm able to find a research group who are working on that particular gene. And through discussion with the researchers, 
we can help the, the patients within clinical practice to actually get a diagnosis and, and change their, their management and treatment. So research is really important, and I think mm -hmm. it's a thing to be interested in if you want to do genetics, but by no means is it essential when you're coming into the specialty. So yes, it's something which could be helpful if you've done research into something that's relevant, but yeah. very often people haven't, and that that's not going to, to be a problem. If you want to do research within the clinical genetics training program, they're very open to people taking out of program time to do research, whether that's sort of additional qualification in genomics or whether it's an MD or a PhD. But again, you don't have to do that. And I think mm -hmm. one of the good things about genetics is there's a lot of flexibility about exactly where your, your niche is within it so sorry I just wanted to to add that because I think it, it shouldn't be something that puts people off I'm so glad you clarified that because in my head I thought gosh just as one of the most academic specialties there probably is it's quite reassuring that it sounds like even if you're not sure it sounds like you can make it work for you yeah I mean there's there's different aspects so obviously understanding genetics and being aware of research in genetics and sort of a close attention to detail is is important mm -hmm when you're reading genetic reports and understanding what they mean but you know equally communication is really really key and people who are very good at dealing with challenging sort of challenging communication situations whether that's breaking bad news and giving a, a new diagnosis which is very difficult or people who are really good at explaining complex concepts in a simple way is you know that's really really key because teaching and education is something that we're all very passionate about whether that's teaching medical students and, and other doctors about genetics and genomics, but equally, you know, a lot of our, our time in clinic is spent talking to families and, and explaining things to them, because what we really want to do is to help people understand, you know, what's happened to them or their child or whatever, and why that's happened and what it means for them going forwards. And I guess touching on communication, personally reflecting on what I've seen of genetics in my placements, actually some of the most upsetting I say or the things I've struggled with the most have been conversations where for example one of them was in an antenatal unit and the scan showed potentially a genetic abnormality and then the discussion that followed afterwards was one of the most difficult discussions I've ever just witnessed or been a part of and equally in ITU recently a patient who had a cardiac arrest and family were asking you know why is it inheritable and we're just the only yeah. thing the consultants could say was you know we don't know in, in those difficult discussions, and I'm guessing if the most of your discussions are kind of that level of intricacies and uncertainties, what keeps you motivated or what makes you enjoy the job? Because it's, I'm associating it at the moment with some of the most difficult emotional experiences I've had. Yeah, no, I think that's fair comment and it can be difficult. I guess there's several things that I think help me. Mm -hmm. I think we're really privileged in a way that we are able to help people who are going through such difficult times and such emotionally challenging circumstances and it yes it sometimes can be difficult for us but I think it's really rewarding because we're really getting to the the crux of an issue that has been so traumatic such an upheaval sort of depending on what it is so I really feel that we, we can make a difference in people's lives in terms of the decisions they make to understand, to get closure and to help them look forwards and advise them, you know, how to how to minimise the, the risk from whatever that might be going forwards. 
So I think that, yes, it's difficult. And sometimes that can be quite intense and quite tiring. But I think that that's something that I, I find really rewarding. That's one thing. I think another thing is that we do have a very strong team-based approach. So when we have difficult decisions ourselves to make about what the right thing is to do and, and how we can best help a family, all genetic centres will have a very sort of close-knit team. So where I work, we have a, several different meetings once a week where we discuss exactly these sorts of challenging cases. And I think I always feel really well supported by my colleagues Partly sort of in making decisions and sort of thinking about what to do, but also in terms of sort of debrief and and sort of dealing ourselves with you know situations that have been complicated. So that I think is really important. And the other thing is often we are giving good news. So it may be that I see a, a couple who've had two pregnancies which have been affected by a particular condition and no one knows what it is, and it's obviously been extremely traumatic for them. But if we can see them, assess them, make the diagnosis, then one of the things where I think there's a lot of optimism at the moment is reproductive mm -hmm. options. And that's something that we're really closely involved in, so sort of counselling all pregnancies. And if we can find a diagnosis, then we can offer things like prenatal genetic testing in a pregnancy going forward to see whether that pregnancy is affected. There's also something called PGD, which is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, mm -hmm. and that's a special form of IVF where basically the, there's an extra step where the embryos that are created are then screened for the, the molecular genetic abnormality that we know that there's a possibility of and then only a healthy embryo is, is implanted. So mm -hmm. lots of times we're giving good news that a pregnancy is not affected by a condition or we were able to offer families something that changes sort of their outlook going forwards. Mm -hmm. So it's not all bad. I think that's the thing. And is there much continuity of care within clinical genetics? Because you're talking about families, or what would you say to that? Yes, yeah, so I think there is to some extent, but perhaps not all the time. So I guess it's worth saying that from a pragmatic point of view, just in terms of the, the volume of patients, it may be that we see a patient, we make a diagnosis, we set the plan in motion. But if it's a condition that's under the care of another specialty, so if it's a neurological condition or a cardiac condition, it may be that we don't need to be involved going forward mm -hmm. because there's a very clear plan of, of what management is needed and a, another specialty is, already has an established care plan for that. And I guess pragmatically, we, we can't follow up all of our families indefinitely yeah. because we just wouldn't have the resources to do that. But, but what I like about it is that we do have quite a bit of continuity in the sense that even in that situation, families come back to us when they're pregnant again, if they're wanting testing for a sort of pregnancy going forwards. And the other thing is that we also do a lot of what we call cascade testing. So that means that if you identify a particular person with a, a genetic condition and other family members are at risk of having that, then we would recommend that other people are seen by genetics to, to discuss having testing themselves. Then, you know, we end up seeing someone and then we see their sister or we see their son or their daughter. Or, so there's quite a lot of continuity within a family and there's also continuity over time. And then, of course, families where we don't, or, you know, where we don't have a diagnosis, we're doing testing. Some of that can take a significant period of time. So many families become known to us over a period of years 
whilst we're following them up, trying to find a diagnosis. So yeah, there is quite a lot of continuity, but not, not for everyone. And we've got uh, another question here. It's uh, maybe a, a big question to answer. So what's, <laughs> the, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned so far in your career? Yeah, I had a bit of advanced warning on this one, so I had a little bit of time to think. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think the, this is probably, I don't know, this is a lesson for, for probably all areas of medicine, but particularly genetics. And I think it's that being able to manage uncertainty is, is really important. Um, and, you know, I think you start off in medical school thinking that when I, when I finally get there, when I finally get to be a consultant, I'll be completely in my comfort zone, I'll know the answers, I'll know what to do. And you sort of see that as being the, the pinnacle of get to this point where that will be me. And I think what I've realized as I've got closer to, to CCT is that it's not about having all the answers. And if you work, most areas of medicine are continually evolving and things are changing, especially genetics. So lots of new things. But I think it's, it's about having a framework and an approach of what to do if you don't know an answer. And sort of not making assumptions and trying to know as many of the the unknowns that might be out there trying to make your unknowns known if you know that sort of mm -hmm. the known knowns and the known unknowns and all of that um so I think that's probably the most important thing is yeah knowing that there will be uncertainty and that it's not always easy to know what the right thing was you know oh it may be that there isn't a right or wrong answer it, it depends on the patient as an individual and what's best for, for them and their family and I think our role is to sort of know where to seek help to, mm -hmm. to answer those sorts of questions. But yeah, so not knowing the answers and but having a framework is probably my my biggest take-home message that I would share with people. Amazing. Thank you. And then just to bring the episode to a close, I always love looking to the future and looking where the specialty could go. So how has it evolved over kind of your career so far? And then I guess looking to the future. Where do you see it going? Where do you see the role of a clinical geneticist going in the future? So very good question. And I think it's for me, even, you know, even in the, the relatively short time that I've been doing clinical genetics, things have changed significantly. So as we, we touched on already, we're, within the NHS, we're now able to, to arrange whole genome sequencing. So we call TRIA mm -hmm. genome sequencing with mum and dad usually and a child. Um, or some sort of trio in the family. And that's really sort of cutting edge gold standard care at the moment. That's only been available for the last year or so within the NHS. We've been doing it in research for a little bit longer. So when I first started, the, the 100,000 Genome Project was underway, which was a, a sort of a research project in partnership with the NHS. But, you know, even in that short time period, already the, the testing that we can offer within the NHS has changed significantly. So... That's, that's where things have been going whilst I've been working. Going forwards, there are lots of different things coming up. So some of those are different ways of doing tests. So without going into masses of detail, at the moment, the sort of the, the whole genome sequencing we do, so we call it next generation sequencing, most of that is doing short reads, which basically means breaking the DNA up into tiny little fragments and analysing those and then putting it all back together to make up mm -hmm. the, the genetic code. And that's great. It can be done very quickly and means that we can, we can get results much, much faster than we could. So if you think about how long it took to sequence the human genome 
back in the years gone by. It obviously took, you know, took many years and now we can get these sorts of results in a very short period of time. But mm-hmm. that read sequencing can miss out quite a lot of genetic conditions. So now there's a new technique coming aboard called long read sequencing, which essentially where you look at longer fragments and that means that you can pick up changes that you wouldn't see. So that's one thing is new technology mm-hmm. changes. The other thing is I think a changing perspective on what we can do with genetics. So you might be aware that something being considered at the moment is the role of whole genome sequencing in newborn screening. And that's obviously something which is really interesting, I think, but mm. a lot of discussion about the, the ethics around that. And just because we can do something, should we be doing it? So lots mm. of things like that currently under discussion that I think will, will perhaps come online. I guess one final thing to think about is more about the genetics of common conditions. And I mean, I think clinical genetics is very much based in, in rare disease, that's our bread and butter, but there is work going on at the moment to understand people's individual risk for more common conditions. And one of the technologies involved in that is something called polygenic risk scores. So that's where a lot of research is going on at the moment to, you know, and the idea is that in the future, we may be able to say to people for a, a common condition where there's many different factors involved, what are the genetic factors that increase your risk and what's the cumulative wow. risk of that? And that's, that's PRS. So yeah, lo- loads and loads of things going on. And I have no doubt that genetics is is going to be become more relevant to more doctors as, as things go forward. Difficult to think, I guess, about exactly what clinical geneticists will, will do going forward. My feeling is that we will, we are clinicians and mm-hmm. are very much in communication and also clinical examination, so dysmorphology and, and helping to guide genetic testing by doing as much in the way of phenotyping. So really working out what the clinical features are. And that's really key. You know, even if you can do the whole genome sequencing, if you don't have a phenotype, then you get lots of results which are not relevant because we all have lots of changes in our, our yeah. genes that are just part of normal variation. So if you're not a clinician and you don't have the phenotyping, then it makes it very, very difficult to interpret the, the results. So I don't think clinical genetics are going anywhere, but I suspect we may have perhaps more of a sort of advisory role. The MDT work is obviously something which has come into the job description over mm-hmm. recent years, and I think will go forwards as well. Wow, that sounds so exciting. And there's someone that came into this not knowing anything. Genuinely, I've got a list of things to go away and look at, especially what you were talking about at the end. Very, very interesting, very exciting. So just thank you so much for your time and introducing us to this specialty. Is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to cover or do you feel like you've said what, what you'd like to? <laughs> Thank you. No, it's been, it's been really good to, to talk to you both. And I think, yeah, the take home message is if you're interested in genetics, please do consider it and, and think about it because I've just really loved my time so far and I wake up every day and I, I'm excited about what the day involves. So I would encourage anyone who thinks there's a a hint that they might be interested to to find out more and I think as with all aspects of medicine really difficult when you're in medical school I think to I mean you know some people perhaps have a very clear idea of what they want to do but I think for the vast majority 
people don't necessarily know and a lot of it is about finding out about what it's actually like doing the job so take any opportunities that you can to to find out more and yeah come and talk to us amazing thank you so much we hope you enjoyed this episode if you want more be sure to check out all our previous episodes ranging from our highly popular open pods UCAT, BMAT and interview advice episodes and more. Keep an eye out for our new series this academic year and make sure to follow us on our Instagram at how to become a doctor with doctor spelled DR for more and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss an episode. See you next time. Bye!